But we're going to read in the scriptures this morning. We're going to go to Luke chapter 23. And I didn't give you guys scriptures this morning, but we're pretty much right here. We're going to just bounce around in, in, in Luke this morning. And I'm going to start reading in verse 26. And we're going to read the ending or a part of close to the ending first. And then we're going to go back and we're going to look at some other things. We're going to talk this morning about some people that encountered Jesus. You're sitting here this morning, whether you're a believer, whether you're not a believer, you're going to encounter something with the Lord, and the Holy Ghost is going to be the one that's going to try to take you somewhere. Here's a good example. I might preach something this morning or say something this morning that God gives me, and it's just going to sit with Rusty, and it's just going to bless him to death. And that same word just might land on Mike here, and he's going to have a struggle with it, maybe understanding. I'm not saying that's you, but I'm just, you guys, you'll let me use examples because y'all won't get mad at me. I, I got tired of picking on Bob because, you know, poor Bob. <laughs> so the same word is going to go out, but it's up to us to receive what God's going to give to us. It's up to us to allow him to minister to us, just as we're going to see these people we're going to talk about this morning that... God had something he wanted to do. He had a purpose. And I can tell you now, the crucifixion was going to happen. It had to happen. It was a part of his plan. And it had to happen so that you and I could come in right relationship with God. That's why when we pray this morning, we're not going through a priest. We're not going through anybody else. We're going through the name of Jesus, the name above all names, to be able to have access to the throne room of God and talk to him directly. And before Jesus came and before the crucifixion happened, not so much. You couldn't do that. So let's start in verse 26. Now as they led him away, they laid hold of a certain man, Simon Cyrenian, who was coming from the country. And on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And a great multitude of the people followed him and women who also mourned and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Weep for yourselves and for your children. How many of you got kids in here this morning? And one on the way. Weep for yourselves and for your children. Don't weep for Jesus. He's telling them. Here's what he's telling them. Check this out. For indeed the days are coming in which they will say, Blessed are the barren, meaning it's a good thing you don't have kids because you don't have to deal with the stuff that they're having to deal with. Wombs that never bore, uh, that was a good thing for you, and breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things in the greenwood, what? will be done in the dry. Let me explain that real quick before we move on. You ever tried to burn a piece of green wood? Some of you guys have got these, these burners, you know, these, these things outside that, you know, it forces air in, it makes it burn. But you know what? If you've got a match or a flint rock and you're outside and it's cold and the wood's wet or green, you're probably going to stay cold because it's going to take a whole lot of work to get a fire going and to keep it going. And what he's saying is, at this time, while Jesus is here, while he was here, they had this uprising. 
They had this going on, and they sent him to the cross. But he said, there's coming a day that when people get dry, I'm not talking about a dry service, whether you're screaming or talking or, or whatever. I'm talking about dry in our hearts. When we're not receiving the word, the nutrients of the word, when we're not letting it come in and do anything in our lives, then we get dry. That's the perilous times that Jesus was talking about that's coming. We get dry, and we want to take anything in that we can find, particularly if it suits us. See, if it's about suiting us, then you gotta ask our, we got to ask ourselves, just what is Jesus Lord over? Because if I'm Lord and over it, he ain't, and vice versa. And so he's saying in this time and in these days, people are basically going to get dry. They're going to get hard. You know, they got the wood that's been in the woodshed for 15 years. You know, you light a match to it, and it takes off. And that's what he's talking about. So he's saying there's coming a time. So don't cry for me, but cry for you and cry for your children. The generation after that, the generation after that, the generation after that. I commend you, moms and dads and families. You're bringing your kids to church, and they're learning the word. I commend you for that. Let's give God some praise for that, what he's doing here in our midst. Got people that's willing to work and to do and to come in and to teach our children and to spend the time with them. That's a good thing. But there's so many families that doesn't even do that. Let's go to verse 32. There were also others, uh, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Jesus was in the middle. We see our crosses here. And we have Jesus. He's on the middle cross. And the two criminals were one on the left and one on the right. Those are two guys that had an encounter with Jesus right there. They went through basically the war with him that day. They were nailed to a cross. They weren't beat like he was. But they had an encounter with our Lord. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, every single one of us sitting here today, and in some way, I'd say most everybody in our nation for sure, they get to have an encounter with Jesus. I want to talk about two other guys. I want to talk about Pilate and Herod. So we're going to back up and go to verse 1 of Luke 23. Man, it's hot in here. Anybody else think it's hot? Okay, then. And then the whole multitude of them arose and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, It is as you say. Jesus didn't say anything else. He, 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 he stuck to the truth. It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. Now, you've got to understand what they're saying. 
we're the guys that's got it all down here, and he's up yonder with those guys that don't got nothing. They, they, they're dumb. They can't do anything. They don't understand anything. They can't even read the word. They don't even, you know, the priests that we send out there is the guys that really don't know anything, but we need to fill the temples. That's what they're saying. We're, we're the ones in the know, and they ain't. You ever felt that way? You ever felt that way? I have. I went to northern Virginia as a country boy. Didn't lose my accent. Thank the Lord. <laughs> and sometimes that was a good thing because people thought I was the bumpkin and they could get over. It's a lot easier to catch somebody that thinks they're getting over on you when they think you're too stupid to catch it. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. But that's what they're saying. They're saying, this guy is stirring up stuff. As a matter of fact, they told a lie. He's not paying his taxes. I mean, where did the Pharisees go? The stuff that meant something to them, they went right straight to the money. He ain't paying his taxes. Is that a lie, folks? I ain't got the scripture. This just came in. Wasn't there a, wasn't there a place where they, he, he talked with, with Peter, I believe it was, wasn't it? And he told him to go out and get this fish, and then the fish is coins. And he's asking, and Peter said, well, what about tax? What, what do we do here? And he said, what's, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and of God what is God's. They lied. See, the pharisaical leaders, the people that had all the information, the guys that knew the word, had to tell lies to sway people. And they told a lie. Otherwise, the Bible ain't true. So they went to this place, but here's the thing. I told you last week that Pilate knew that they were going after him. He knew they, they were jealous of him. He knew what was going on. But he says this word right here. He says, I find no fault in this man. So Pilate, the guy he is, I told you last week, he, you know, he's afraid of losing his position. He ain't quite as bad as they are, but in the, in the end of the day, and he's still afraid of losing his money in his position. That's why we go through what we're going to keep going through. So he sent him to a fellow by the name of Herod, who was, who was the governor of Jerusalem, he, over that area of Judea. He was the governor. So he said, well, I'm just going to, you know, Harry, Harry Truman said the buck stops here. These guys didn't know anything about him buck stopping anywhere. They passed the buck. That's what liars do. They pass the buck. When junk comes and truth can't prevail, and they know truth can't prevail, uh, is going to prevail over a, over a lie, their lie can't prevail, they will pass the buck on to someone else. And so that's what he tried to do. Let's go to verse 6. And when Pilate heard of Galilee, of Galilee, he asked the man, were, he asked if the man were a Galilean, and as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. This was Passover, so they were there. They were converging on the, on the city. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad. Do you hear that? Herod was exceedingly glad. Here's why. For he had desired for a long time to see him. Because he had heard many things about him. And he hoped to see some miracle done by him. He wanted to meet Jesus. He hadn't met him before. He wanted to meet him, and he was glad he was coming. 
And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. Jesus didn't say a word to him. He knew what he was about. You ever had a time when Jesus gets quiet when you're praying? Remember several weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, we are talking about prayer. Ask, seek, and knock. You got to be seeking. Sometimes we ask amiss, as James tells us can happen, and he answers, not a word. Remember this. We did a skit yesterday in the, in the ladies' thing about cleaning, cleaning house and cleaning the... God already knows what is there. Can't fool him. Stop trying. He knows. He knows what's lying here. Oh, but he loves us because he went to a cross for us. Amen? He says, oh, let me just pick you up out of that mess. The world's took you there. You were born that way, but I've got the way to fix you. And so they, he, he was asking these many questions, but Jesus didn't answer nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. So here's the smart guys once again accusing Jesus. And we know the accusations are false. And then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. You see, he represents the ones that just want to know Jesus. And I tell you, I've met a bunch of them in the last six years. Life falls apart. Because God wasn't in the center of their life. Everything else was. By the way, you don't have to come to church to be saved, but I'm going to tell you what, if you are saved, you're probably going to want to be here to be fed. And you let the Holy Ghost deal with you over that, not Ken. I said it, he told me to. But see, people get trouble comes their way, and then they get religion. Trouble comes my way. You already knew where you was. Then we get religion. People say, well, I don't want anybody. I don't want anything. To, well, I'm going to tell you something. Christianity ain't got nothing to do with religion. These guys were religious. It has everything to do with Jesus. But he knew, and, and that's the kind of guy that Herod was. He wanted to meet Jesus. Oh, man, I just want to see him. I want to see what he can do. I've heard about it, but I want to see it with my own eyes. Many times people life throws trouble at them, and then they get religion. 9-11, I heard Francis talking this morning. You know, 9-11 happened. Churches were flowing over with people. Somebody gets sick, something happens. Then all of a sudden we start going to find God, and here's what I always tell folks. Sometimes they never call me back because they don't want that advice. Are you sure you're seeking God, or are you seeking something for yourself? There is a difference. Because here's the thing. If God, in his sovereignty, meaning he knows everything, he does it all right, all the time, ain't never messed up, ain't going to start, so get that in your head now. If he says, no, will you still serve him? How many people, and you guys know, you come across their path, and man, they learn the lingo real quick, they learn to hold their hands high when they're singing, they, they do it all. They go through the motions of religion, and as quick as, as something don't work out how they want, Jesus didn't work the miracle that they told him to work. They got nothing to do with him, 
And they're the people that turn around and say, I don't want to have anything to do with religion. You know, that's the first truth that they really got. You don't want to have anything to do with religion. That's who Herod represents. He wanted to meet Jesus. He wanted to see the miracle. When Jesus didn't do nothing, he was done with him. And then he paid him a little homage. He put a nice robe on him. Right? Easter coming up. We've got people sitting in church. So that's when they come is Easter. Maybe Christmas. Come to the Christmas play. Or you got this going on and they pull the checkbook out and they're going to buy their way into heaven. And what's worse is the Pharisees, they know to go to them to get the money from them. And they want something done. Ain't this tight this morning? And it's me first. It's me first, but it is truth. And that's who Herod represents. But I can tell you this morning that he could have had an opportunity with the Lord. You've got to understand that. God saw the beginning from the end. He knew what this man was going to do. He does give us free will. Amen? Wow. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around, but this is the moment in time. It's not that Herod was born to be the guy that was going to be in this part of the Bible for this reason. God's not willing that any should perish. Any. How many is any? All. Whomsoever will. If that is not true, then the Bible's a lie, and we might as well pack up and go home. Let's play foot, touch football in the parking lot or something. But this is the guy that represents somebody, the ones that play the game. Oh, I want to see Jesus work. And whenever the Holy Ghost is moving and, and touching somebody or somebody gets saved, you know, they, they'll stand up and give a little hand clap like this. You know, we go to the race and we act like a bunch of banshees, but we don't get excited about souls. That we play the game. People, those, these kind of people play the game. And I say we. If it lands on you, then let the Lord work on you. If it's not you, then let it pass. Whew, I feel like I'm getting in trouble here. But that's who Herod was. Herod was the guy that plays the game. He wanted to see Jesus. He had some bit of a belief. Hey, I, I, I want to see this guy. I'm excited about it. But then well, let's go to Luke 23 and 13. And then Pilate, when he called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things which you accused him. No, neither did Herod. I've sent him to one of your own, one of the guys that's from your culture, one of the guys from your religion, one of the guys that knows what's going on, and he didn't find anything in him. But he had nothing to do with him. He mocked him. He made fun of him. He had an encounter with him, but Herod, you know, he, he gave up his opportunity at that moment. I'm not going to stand up for Jesus. I'm, I wanted to see him. I see there ain't nothing going on. And, you know, mocking is not just, you know, how we do the na 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 thing. Mocking is whenever we sometimes will play the real game, but in our hearts we don't believe. That's mocking God. You know, we asked before, you know, I've asked this before. 
serious time of prayer and something's going on, if you really don't believe in your heart, don't bother about getting up out of your seat to come up and be with us to lay hands on somebody to pray. Because it doesn't matter what we think. God knows. And the sad part is you fool yourself. The Bible tells us that. And I know that's straightforward, but you know what? It's about growing. It's about getting something. It's about getting to a place with God. But he says here, he says, I find no fault in this man. And by the way, neither did Herod. So he had an ally in that. For I sent you, I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving death has been done by him. That's twice. Twice Jesus comes into Pilate's realm where he's at, and twice he makes the proclamation he ain't done nothing wrong. He is innocent. But he didn't take the extra step. He wanted to shovel it off on the next guy. You know anybody like that? You ever seen people do that? I'll give you a hint if you ain't. Washington, D.C. It's always his fault. And he's got somebody to blame, too, and it's just a big circle. It runs around the circle, and you get lost in the fray, and before long, you just quit searching for what the truth is. It's his fault. There's dirt on the floor. What are you going to do about it? What you should have done. You see the mindset I've got here? It's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's fault. That's the kind of mindset that was going on here. That's who Pilate was, and he knew the truth. He knew what the truth was, but he didn't stand for Jesus. He didn't stand up and say, I'm not going to do it. He told them, hoping that they in themselves would maybe say, okay, I guess this guy's right. Verse 18, and they cried out at once, saying, Away with this man and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus, again called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And then he said a third time, three times. What? Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. Now, let me ask you this question. If he ain't done nothing wrong, why are you going to chastise him? That would be like me going back right now whipping around for nothing. Because you all think I should. Right? I'll try to appease the crowd a little bit. Appeasement. Oh, dangerous thing. So three times he lets him go, or says that he, he don't find anything in him. But they were insisting, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate, it should just say, gave in. The coward. That's what he was. Told you last week, he's nothing but a coward. He gave sentence. That it should be as they requested. Wouldn't stand up for truth for nothing. He set his own mama out. That reminds you of any time frame in history that you may have read about or know about? Can anybody say today? People will fall apart over nothing. 
People will do, it's my way or the highway, and if you don't get on board with my way, then it, it just ain't going to happen. And he released them to the one they requested, for the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but delivered Jesus to their will. That's two people that had an encounter with Jesus. One of them had three encounters with him and three times said there's nothing wrong with him, but yet he didn't receive him. Those are the kind of people we're talking about. We got the Herods. They just want to see a good miracle. They come for the show. Name your group. We could pick a group. Any genre of music, as long as it's religious music. Use that word loosely. And we could pack this place out for the show. And we could charge seats, money for seats. $10 a head. 275 seats, $10 a head is how much money? Somebody do the math real quick. Just waking you up, that's all. I don't know, it's a lot. $2,750, does that sound right? Well, we can't pack it out with nobody's got much of a name because they're about $10,000 just to get them here. Plus, you got to feed them and put them in a room. But we could pack the place out for the show. For the show, we could pack it out. But for Jesus, not so much. Sadly, there are too many today that are playing that game. They're figuring out how to get the people in, how to appease the flesh, throw a little bit of religion into it. And live in a dangerous spot. So two guys, we got Pilate and we got Herod. Who didn't do anything with Jesus. But then we get to the other two guys, the robbers. The guys that went to the cross with him. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read real quick for you. In verse 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription was written over him in the, in the letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Now, before we get to verse 39, because you're going to see what one criminal did, but let's go to Matthew chapter 27, verse 44, real quick. It's very important that we throw this in there. Matthew 27, verse 44. The other 44. Oh, 34. I did say, four, no, 44. Ten more up. Yeah, boy, I tell you, he's quick, ain't he? Now, this is when they took Jesus to the cross with the two guys. It says, even the robbers who were crucified with him reviled him with the same thing. If you'll back up in that piece of scripture where you're at, you'll find out they were mocking him. They were saying the same thing. If you are the Son of God, then come on down off of that cross. Shows you, save yourself and save us too. So we had to establish that before we read on here back over into Luke chapter 23. And let's go to verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him saying, If you are the Christ, 
save yourself and us. You see, you got two guys that's writing about something they saw. How many of you know we can get see something and everybody's going to have a little bit of different angle on it? They've got a different viewpoint. That's why when you investigate something, you get a lot of witnesses. You can paint the picture. You can fish through the lies. You can fish through and find out what the truth is. And that's what the scriptures have done. So we know that when these guys went to the cross, both of them were putting Jesus down. Now we're at this point. It's still going on. I mean, you've got to think he was on the cross for a bit. Six hours, I think, something like that. Am I right about that? Six, eight, nine hours maybe, nine hours. Six in the morning is six hours, and then the ninth hour, okay, about nine hours. So they're all there together. They're, they're all hanging on the cross, and when they first get there, there's something that's going on. They're all putting him down, except the followers. They're standing by and watching, but we get to this point in the Scripture, and it says in verse 39, that one of the criminals who, were, who hanged with him blasted blasphemed him saying if you are the Christ save yourself and us but the other answered answering rebuking him saying do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation and we indeed justly for we receive the due reward you know we're going to reap what we sow we're going to receive the due rewards for our deeds but this man has done nothing He was one who was putting him down, and he's at the point now that he sees what Jesus is. He knows who Jesus is, and now he's hanging on a cross, and he's standing up for the Lord. Something changed. We talked about four guys this morning. Three of them didn't get it. One of them did. And this is the one that got it. Do you not even fear God seeing you are under the same condemnation? We're all going to die here today. Don't you get it? But we did wrong. I did wrong. I deserve to die today for the, what they've accused me of. I knew the law before I broke it. And I knew what was coming. And we deserve to. But don't you understand? This man is innocent. Don't you even fear God? He, you know why when he said that, he said, I know this is the Son of God. That's what he was saying. It ain't written down there, but you can figure that out, I hope. Don't you even fear God? Because he's done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He didn't find out what all wrong he had done in his life and see if he was worthy to be saved or to come into the church. No, he's hanging there, barely hanging on to life himself, and the man calls on him, and he says, you know what? Today, you'll be with me in paradise. And if you go back to where I started reading there, let's see, let me see the scripture here, where I started at in verse 34. He said something that I think made the difference in this man's heart. 
He'd said a lot of things while he was on the cross, but the one thing that he said for the very people that hated him, the very people that beat on him, the very people that enjoyed doing what they did, the Pharisees, all the ones standing by, the Herods and the Pilots, those people, those kinds like that, Jesus said one thing that I think is what won this man's heart over. Why? Because we all need forgiveness. And he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Forgiveness has power. It has the power to save, Brother Dan, and the only reason that Jesus went to the cross was for forgiveness so that we could have a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's about forgiveness. It's about restoring the relationship. That's what changed this man. He saw that. He was hanging on a cross in agony too, but he was able to see some truth roll in there. And he saw the passion that was in this man's eyes. He heard the passion that was in his voice. He saw the compassion that he had upon the people and begging to his heavenly Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And it made the difference. And that same Jesus is alive and well today, sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's how we all got saved. That's how we all get to grow in sanctification. Why? Because he loves us. And he says, oh, that one's mine. He believes in me. That's what's going on. There are some people to say, well, he didn't get baptized. You, know, you ever heard that? You got saved and you got to get baptized. It's like the, the Pharisee. You got saved and you got to get circumcised. What are you thinking about? Is Jesus and? There is no Jesus and. It's just him. It's called grace. It's called grace. It's grace. And that's the only way forgiveness can come is through grace. I think it's in Hebrews somewhere. Two and eight, I believe, ain't it, maybe? You are saved to... Uh, by grace, through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, I think it says. Go to that, Hebrews 2 and 8, I think it is. I can find it. I can't quote all of it just yet. Y'all, I'm, I'm only 15 years old as a Christian. I'm still growing. See if I'm right on that. Is that right? Hebrews 2 and 8. Anyway, it's not about works. They didn't take that fellow off and take him down to the river and baptize him. Either that, either, don't get me wrong. We baptize, and it is a good symbol. It needs to be done. It's our show to the world that I have been dead and buried and resurrected again. But you know what? You use a teaspoon of water or a whole Lake Erie if you wanted to. It's not going to wash sin away. It's about what the Savior did at the cross. I'm all for the sacraments. I think we should take communion. By the way, uh, next Sunday is Palm Sunday, isn't it? We're doing, we're going to take communion. By the way, we're going to do it Sunday morning. And all my life of going to a church, and it may have been done here, but I just had to be working. I don't know, so I'm not casting that stone. I don't want you to take that wrong. It's always been an evening thing. We're going to do it Sunday morning. Taking communion is not going to save you. It's a symbol. And next Sunday night, you want to get humbled? We're going to wash feet Sunday night. Just like Jesus did. And I'll tell you right now, you grab somebody, somebody's old stinking foot, 
And it's humbling, but I'm going to tell you what's even worse, or even more humbling, not worse, more humbling. It's when somebody grabs a hold of your old stinking foot and serves you. You know what I'm saying? I know it's laughing, but I know the first time I was here and I was in, in, a, in a foot washing service, and I'm thinking, that's kind of weird. They gave me the scriptures. I read it, but I still said, that's kind of weird. And I went on. You know, I was going along with the crowd. They just said crucify him. That's what I'd have been doing, probably. And we went over yonder and went in the room. And I believe, Brother Willie, it was you and me at my first foot washing. Brother Willie's got a foot like a baby. <laughs> Didn't take much water. But you want to know something? For me to get down there, I'm thinking, oh, this is doing something to me. I washed his foot first. And then he washed mine. And I'm going to tell you, I melted just like a baby. To have this man serving me at the lowest, you know, in some, you know, in the Middle East, in some places, you show a man the bottom of your foot, it's disrespect. And he washed my feet. And it was humbling. And I thank you for it. Because he was so gentle, man. He, I think maybe he didn't know it, but I believe the, I believe the Lord just put it in his heart. This guy's nervous about this, and he just kind of, he walked me right through it. All just humbled me. And I'm like, washing somebody's feet ain't no big deal. Getting your foot washed? Oh, that's humbling. That is humbling. But that's the point this morning. It's not Jesus and. The things we do, we do because we are. And we follow the example of our Lord. We don't do it to earn. Four people met Jesus on that day. There were many more. I want to talk about those four. And two of them had the power on this earth. Jesus said, you don't have any power with me except what's given to you from above. But they could have said, no, nah, he's free to go. And they did. And one of them even three times says, I don't see nothing wrong with him. And two guys went to the cross with him, and they both heard the same sermon, so to speak. And one of them still trash-mouthed him, and one of them got saved. And I may be wrong on this, but you can just do your own research on it, but that's the first guy that got saved. We don't have to clean the fish up for them to come to Jesus. That's what he does. Thank God he's cleaning on me. How about you? He's cleaning me out every day. He's bringing up stuff, or he's like, come on, boy, hang in there. You know why? Because he loves me. It's grace. And we can't take grace too far. I don't mean you get to live how you want to live, but that's where the relationship happens. Grace, mercy, forgiveness. You realize when we judge people or when we don't have forgiveness in our hearts, we're in essence, as the Bible says, we're right in our own judgment. For whatever measure you meet on them is the same measure I will meet on you. The standard you're judging with, God says, is the same standard I'm judging with. If you have unforgiveness, I have unforgiveness. Isn't that humbling? 
Don't be afraid of him that can kill the body, but be afraid of him that can kill both body and soul. I can't judge. I don't see in hearts. I don't know motivations, motives. But he does. He knows it all. He knows it all. See, that guy could have said on that cross, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And Jesus, seeing his heart, could have said, you got another motive, son, and I can't help you. And you better hurry because I only got about three or four more breaths left in me. You better get it right. No, he knew. He knew. Can we give God some praise this morning? Oh, we just love the Word of God. Hallelujah, indeed. Got a song in your heart, brother? Well, come on. Papa said it's time to quit. I'm going to fool you on these Sundays. We're going to come in here, and at 20 after, we're going to be done. We're going to read a scripture. We're going to pray. We're going to go home. Maybe, if God says so. <laughs> but this morning, this morning, I'm going to make this invitation again if you don't know him. And I mean, if you've been playing the game, don't play it no more. Make it right. Make it right. Make it real. If you've never asked Jesus into your heart, I want to invite you to come. You know what? I'll tell you again and again until it gets in there. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Standing up and coming to the front to get prayed for to receive Jesus Christ is the best thing you'll ever do. And as he cleans us out, that's your first step. Because as he cleans us out, then we can give the testimony of what he's done for us. Maybe you've been a believer for 25 years and there's something sitting in here that just is it's affecting your walk with the Lord. I'm not saying you're not saved. But you got misery going on. You're losing sleep at night. All because of something he's saying, I got to take care of this because it ain't right. I need to tweak it. And we say, oh, no, I've been serving in the church forever. I've been, uh, you know, these people watch me grow up. I can't get up and go. That's because life is still about you. It ain't about Jesus. The biggest lie I ever told from pulpits is to say you don't have to air your laundry out. That's wrong. Because if it's about you, that's exactly what it is. It's airing your laundry out. But he says if you'll confess your faults one to another, he is just and faithful to forgive. Hey, I'm dealing with this brother, Eddie. Will you pray with me? Now, I don't have to go and ask everybody that. I can talk to him. But at some point, when I become an overcomer, that testimony is about Jesus. It ain't about me. Well, I don't like thinking about it no more. I don't either, but it's about him. And if it gives him glory and somebody sitting here today can hear that testimony and they get saved, it's about him. Think what you want about me. I done hit that place. Like me, don't like me. I'm kind of like Jesus. You take me or leave me. But I love him, and I know if I love him and you love him, we end up at the same place. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. We end at the same place. So this morning, the invitation is for everybody sitting here. You need something from the Lord. You need something, a, a, a habit. 
You need something taken away from you. Come today and let him take it away. Knowing there's coming a day, there's going to come a day that that testimony needs to go out. I sat with a pastor friend of mine this past Friday. Went to took the kids up to go and, and, and do uh, and uh, for the choir. And we came back, we had supper, and I sat with him. And he said, you know, my marriage almost ended. I had no idea what he was saying. This is when they were young. Because he had something going on in his life, he didn't know how to deal with it. But then, he met Jesus. And then, he had to do some restitution work. He had to go talk to his wife. He had to talk to his family. And God set him free. It was about being freed. And he knew at that moment, now it ain't about me. Think what you want. What I'm telling you is about the power of Almighty God and the stuff that he will see you through. It don't matter because he already knows it. He already knows what's in the heart. He already knows what goes on in the closet. He already knows all about it. And he says, I stand here knocking at the door. If you'll let me come in, I'm going to come in with you. And I'm going to help you. I came to help you. Not to accuse you. There's a devil that does that. There are people that's got the devil's initials rolled on their heart. They do that kind of stuff. But not God. I came to help you. And whenever he helps, whenever he helps, what happens? You're set free. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. You know what God did for you. You've been set free. I don't have to carry the burden anymore. He has set me free. And the testimony now is not about what are they going to think about me. The testimony is now what are they going to think about Jesus? Because I've already been set free. I'm not guilty. You can accuse me of it all you want. You can pull out everything in my past. You could have kept photographs. You could have kept videos. You could have wrote notes. And it means absolutely nothing. Because the King of kings and the Lord of lords says, I am justified by his blood. I want you to know that this morning. We don't cast stones here at Hoddleston. Stone casters will either get saved or they'll get uncomfortable and they'll leave. You understand what I'm talking about? Jesus said, if you go into a town and they receive you, then you abide with them. You teach them. You raise them up. You help them. You love them. And if they don't, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Don't waste your time there because I'll send somebody else maybe later. I might send you back. But the devil would love nothing more than you get off on a sidetrack and waste your time on that sidetrack when there are souls dying. Do we get that this morning, Huddleston? Put your hands together if you understand what I'm saying. We don't cast stones. Stone casters will either get saved or they'll leave. And that's okay. They make their choice with God. Amen? Stand to your feet this morning as they sing. You got something you want to come talk to God about? You come talk to Him.